Seven minutes past four. Good morning to you. If you've just woken up, my name is Asanda Beta. Thank you so much for staying with SAFM as we lead the conversation with you on this Thursday, the 8th of April. And of course, do engage with us. You can call in on 011-482-1863. SMS us on 41391. SMSs are charged at 150 per SMS. WhatsApp us on 061-410-4107. And you can uh, tweet us at SAFM Radio and at Favoured Asa. Hashtag SAFM Sound Awake. We get into our trending topics section of the show now where we look at social media and what's happened there in the last 24 hours. Uh, Welcoming Tiamo Malachi. Good morning, Tiamo. How are you today? Good morning, Asanda. It's a very bright morning. Yes, it is. We love it. Uh, it's it's quite a nice one. Uh, let's talk hashtag Dr. Tumi now, first of all, who is out on bail with his wife after appearing on charges about defrauding the National Lotteries Board. Now, apparently 1.5 million rand was involved in this. Yeah, I mean, we've had a lot of skirmishes between religious religious leaders. I mean, allegedly. Why am I saying apparently? We are news. Allegedly. <laughs> let's correct ourselves now. <laughs> Uh, we've had a lot of skirmishes between religious leaders and the law now, quite a few, and it's always a shock. There's always a massive defense by people who are themselves religious. So this one, I think, is one of those social media stories that the moment they broke, everyone was like, okay, what is the religious community going to say? What are the defenses going to be? But I think unlike the other stories, which were um, extremely serious, extremely long drawn, this seems to be a case that uh, has very little facts that are out there. There was just this first appearance. They're now out on bail. The facts are still a bit murky because it seems like the claim is that certain documents were falsified. So... Mm. You know, when I compare this to some of what the other religious leaders have done, you know, compared to the case against Shepherd Bushiri, for instance, you know, it's a very different story in terms of what's happening here. But if it is any truth to the matter, then it really means that we all need to ask ourselves the question about what we've been letting religious leaders get away with. And I mean, this was for a non-profit organization, uh, and uh, it was, you know, allegedly approximately seven hundred and sixty thousand that they uh, got from the funds yeah. of one point five million rand. The fact that they were, you know, doing this for a non-profit organization does that even make it worse, you know? Yeah, I mean, a lot of white-collar crime happens in South Africa, which isn't always addressed, and this would be an example of that kind of white-collar crime by someone whose status, influence, the ability to manipulate in order to gain financial money. I mean, you saw Marcus Wister, Steinhoff saga. You see a lot of these examples of white-collar crime. At least some of them are being looked into. So I don't know exactly why this case is being looked into. You know, what made uh, the South Africa's... uh, leagues of justice look into this very specific incident maybe they've been looking into it for a while we don't know that information but the fact that they're looking into white collar crime i think that's a good sign so religious communities preaching forgiveness you don't think that that will be the case here especially because they did hand themselves over uh, to the hawks in johannesburg that's always the issue which is also why i started the commentary talking about the religious community uh, the Omodoso case as well, you know, which was high profile involving rape and other offenses, including minors. You had a lot of people saying, 
well, this is a man of God, this is a religious person, etc., etc. You know, all manner of reasoning, online, offline, you had people showing up at the courtroom in defense of the man. Um, so if something as serious as that had the religious community defending him, I think in Dr. Dewey's case, I'm sure there'll be lots of people also asking for that kind of forgiveness. I just think we need to separate processes of forgiveness, which are personal, from uh, processes of justice, which are social. And uh, it's possible Mm. for both to exist at the same time. And I mean, the other day we were talking about uh, political parties disclosing the funds that they get because, mm. I mean, N- NGOs also need funding to uh, function, uh, like political parties uh, for their electioneering campaigns. Should the uh, church leaders as well, who are affiliated to NGOs or some kind of community work, also maybe have some kind of body where they need to uh, disclose the funds they get and who the oh. funder is? This is so tricky because there's an entire funding ecosystem in South Africa. It also involves government and how government uses its grants. And what you could do is you, you, you're meant to have audits of um, non-government organizations. There already is supposed to be infrastructure for accounting on their financing. Uh, I know it's even possible for uh, the Attorney General or the Public Protector to investigate non-profit organization. Quite obviously, in this case, we found out that a non-profit organization was doing something dodgy. So I do think there is already mechanisms in place for when they misfund or when they do err. I don't think it's so much that we need to introduce new infrastructure as it is we're not implementing the infrastructure which exists. Now, I don't know the names of the various laws and I don't have the specifics in the various infrastructures, but I, I, I am aware that such infrastructure exists. It's all about whether we implement the infrastructure we've created. All right, let's move on then. Hashtag DUT, uh, mm. talking about uh, the closure of all campuses in Durban there after a fake social media registration post. Now, how do we even pin who should be responsible for this? Because there were violent clashes between the police and these prospective students at the Durban University of Technology who went there because they're just trying to study. They want to register. Yeah, I think that's the problem at its core. A fake social media post is exploiting what is a deep injustice in the country, which is that so many students cannot access higher education. Without that reality, that fake post wouldn't have much of an effect. And in the desperation of trying to study, you know, it's already April. Lots of these students have probably really tried to get into an institution, many of them into DUT itself. It kind of just created this powder keg for tension between the university and a lot of students. The university actually hasn't seen to complete, finally, its registration processes, which is occurring online. So there was also that opportunity for the fake social media post for that reason. So I think all of these factors together are very easy to exploit. Higher education, access and funding is something that there's a lot of misinformation going around mm. about this one post just happened to be the the one post that really showed the power of social media and the ability for it to exploit deep social issues within the country and i mean how would they have mitigated against this or, or even you know just scrutinize it because it was posted on the university's website allegedly well it's very difficult it's so tricky i mean to correct misinformation once it's already gone out there 
especially because the people who show up to register are now in a large group of people. They realize that, okay, there's more of us here. We have power. We, I mean, and that's why they, um, you know, sort of force entry onto the campus. They take certain actions because they realize the kind of power they have in the group. So it's, it's no longer just a, an issue of clarifying that this was false information. Uh, also, the university is trying to quell the protests, and that's why they have now shut down all of their campuses and suspended all activity mm. and focused their efforts on, uh, you know, ending the protests, so to say. So, uh, yes, I, I suppose... Maybe it's posted on the university website. I don't know too much about that. Uh, whether it's on the university website or not, the point of the matter is that it's explosive. You know, it, it, it looks at the deep issue that lots of people are facing, and uh-huh. it makes a post on that basis. Whether it has a malicious intention or not, it kind of has an outcome which is very displeasing because it doesn't solve the problem. Instead, it just creates some kind of rush you know, which doesn't lead to a long-term solution to the problem. And I think at the end of it, the people who really, really need to study probably still won't be catered for by the end of the story. And as you say, I mean, there is reaction, which is not necessarily fair. So is it fair then that these protesters were arrested? Because yes, we know when people are out of order in their behavior, there needs to be uh, consequences for that. However, as we say, this is an issue in the country, students needing to register uh, and Mm -hmm. and challenges around that and funding and all of that. And then also this uh, uh, post, you you know, as we say, it would be difficult to to share to see that it was fake because it was on the university's website. Yeah, I mean, if people were acting on good intentions, just showing up at this institution because they felt genuinely that this was an opportunity for them to register, especially this late into the year, I don't think that they were acting out of any malicious intention apart from wanting to register. Uh, The police historically respond to student protests in a manner that escalates violence, in a manner that perhaps isn't fair at all and is uh, trying its best to be disruptive, trying its best to be harmful toward the protest. So I think this is another example of that. I also think the way that the DUT has responded to this has been a bit awful. It's been a bit harsh. It hasn't been understanding the circumstances of how these students arrived here at this campus. So I suppose to answer your question, it's not fair. It's not fair at all. I also think it's not fair that the students are arrested. That's my thoughts, uh, not SAFM. Let's move on now to something lighter. <laughs> At hashtag Savannah SA, which is about Pooza Thursday and the alcoholic beverage Savannah, they've dropped a hilarious new advert on hashtag my friend. I guess this is in response to all those uh, <laughs> trending uh, videos where we saw a lot of party goers drinking Savannah and yeah. just losing their inhibitions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also think there's this idea of, in South Africa, especially when you go out drinking, you know, everyone's your friend. You'll dance with anyone, you'll share a drink with anyone, you'll ask someone for matches to light your cigarette, you know, whatever. It's, 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 this going out culture is very communal. Um, yeah, Savannah is trying its best to recreate its brand. They've always been trying to. They've always trying to uh, distance itself from the way Savannah is actually used and who actually drinks Savannah, and in the way Savannah wants to market itself. I don't know if you remember that advert they put out, uh, trying to be a manly brand or whatever that was. Mm-hmm. But I think this time they're leaning into it. You know, I think now they've realized, okay, this is our corporate identity. This is who we are. 
let's just embrace more of that, my friend. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, was it necessarily negative, though, that we were blaming the Savannah drinkers of uh, lockdown restrictions ma- being made stricter? Was it necessarily bad for the brand? I don't, I don't know. I mean, we were also blaming VW Polo drivers at yeah, some point. At some po- we just needed to blame people. <laughs> we just needed to point fingers. <laughs> but, but it's good that Savannah is doing this because it's sending out a message that you respect us as a brand, you buy our alcohol, you associate yourself with us, listen to us about social distancing, and maybe it will have that effect, I don't know. It's very difficult in terms of nightlife to police that kind of behavior from an advert point of view. But the fact that they're trying, I think it's a good thing. You know, I don't think we should blame Savannah drinkers. I mean, it's, it's humorful to do it on social media. Yeah. Um, but maybe us doing that made the brand wake up and because social media kept blaming Savannah, the brand was like, okay, let's do something about this. So in, in, in our blaming the brand, at least we got the brand to do something. Yeah, we need to just take a short break and then we'll discuss the last thing. If you can just please uh, stay with us, uh, Tia Mumalaji, discussing social media in the last 24 hours. That's trending topics here on SAFM Sound Awake. 20 minutes past four. Trending news right now. We're still in conversation with Shiamu Malaji, talking trending topics and looking at the past 24 hours in terms of what's been on uh, social media. So hashtag Vodacom then, uh, Vodacom mm-hmm. announcing reduced data costs along with other telecoms. Uh, what can we read into this? Because I'm, I'm, in my mind, I'm just thinking if you guys can reduce data prices and it's a second round of reductions by Vodacom, why were we paying higher data prices in the first place before? It gets deeper. You know, you always need to wait some time with this to get the final analysis. With the first decrease of data prices, something sneaky that Vodacom did was to effectively decrease data prices for the higher data ranges, the really, really upper gigabytes, but not necessarily do that same decrease, at least not to the same quantity for the smaller data amounts that most consumers were actively buying because you might not have a lot of money on you so you're buying smaller data prices. So for most, uh, a lot of the consumers, the poorer consumers, they weren't actually paying that much less in data, but wealthier consumers were. So with the first data decrease, there was a, a very fine print, asterisk, T's and C's kind of a data decrease. And we'll see if this one will do any better. But I do think it's in good time because South Africans are feeling the pinch of the lockdown. Data is something that mm. lots of us need to stay online during lockdown and for the various activities, but I still don't think it's far enough. You know, I think South Africa's data prices are still much more expensive compared to the rest of the world in multiple magnitudes. That small amount of decreases simply won't cut it. Yeah, I mean, here we go. I mean, just feeding from the uh, DUT story, our students can't even afford data. That's why they can't register online and they have to go yeah. on campus. It was the same thing with UNISA we were speaking about uh, yesterday. So, I mean, what are the examples then of the bu- uh, the bundles that they are reducing? Okay, well, I don't have those at the top of my head. I saw the announcements that Vodacom made. I, I see these posts on social media, you know, this uh, telecoms com- company has taken this decision. And I always think to myself, Let's just wait a moment. Let's see in the next couple of weeks what, what effect this really has and whether or not it's actually going to impact. Because I've mm. seen that, especially Vodacom, NTN, these companies that have a huge market share, there's, there's a huge resistance to reduce the amount of money they're making off poorer customers in particular. 
they, they, they're they more keen to provide deals for their wealthier, middle-class-up kind of customers to create some kind of nice relationship with them. But for the poorer customers, they see it as a big, you know, a big money grab. They also reason it like this. They say that mm. they, they're developing infrastructure in rural areas, etc., and they need to find a way to pay for it. And they use these data prices, especially for poorer customers, as justification for that. The next thing I'm seeing Vodacom do, especially among the different telecom companies, is to expand into fiber, into home internet. So you're seeing Vodacom across the country building a fiber empire right now, installing across the country, creating many more contract deals in comparison to their competitors. So I don't see this as a company that's trying its best to provide internet to everyone or to reduce the state of prices. I see it as a company that's still making very strict corporate decisions. So I I don't have, you know, the full details on this Mm. new data pricing. But what I can guarantee to you is if it comes like the last one, there's a lot of T's and C's, there's a lot of asterisks, and it probably isn't such an amazing deal. And I wonder if the Competition Commission hadn't been involved, if there would have been even reductions in the first place, because this was as a result of an agreement between Vodacom and the competition. So there you go. So much for capitalism. Anyway, uh, let's uh, leave it there then, because we are out of time. Thanks so much mm-hmm. again uh, for your time, Tiamo. Do enjoy your Thursday, hey? You too, Asanda. Thanks. Tiamo Malachi talking trending topics here on Sound Awake.